Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Between Two Studs. I'm Alex Stud. And I'm Ron Stud. And Ron, for episode 35, we actually got some kin, some family. Oh, yeah. I think, am I right? Am I right in saying this is our first family member? Um, we yeah, haven't had a family this is member. Our first, this is our first because we've had our little weird rules where the first season we said no relatives just yet. But I so, think we're ready. Not, not anymore. Not anymore. We got Jameson Mangan on the line. How you doing, Welcome. Jamie? I'm doing great. Uh, how are you guys doing? I'm doing awesome. Fantastic. And you're going to have to forgive me. So uh, obviously we grew up together. We're cousins. Well, we're going to get into it. We're cousins. Yes, sir. I, I, I'm going to be calling you Jamie the whole time. I know Jameson is. That's okay. It, that's all right. No, I, you know, I, 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 I go by both. I respond to both. You know, anybody <laughs> basically who knew me before, like, my professional career got started will refer to me as Jamie. And that's totally fine with me. Uh, you know, Jameson's just the real name. And I decided to roll with that uh, for the Love career it. and whatnot. But yeah. Yeah. Love it. Well, glad you're on the show. One thing we're going to do. Before we kick off, before we get into the Amber Round, is Ron and I are going to do a toast to you in honor of our official sponsor, Malort, which I assume you don't have Malort on you, but you had it at my wedding a couple months ago, didn't yes, you? Yes, I sure, I sure did. I can't forget that. What did you that. think of it? Oh, I loved it. It was great. Smooth. Really? Delicious. <laughs> so, so our official uh, sponsor of season two, Malort, I'm wearing a awesome. Malort shirt as well. Cheers to you, Jamie. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks Cheers. for having me, boys. Cheers. That's how you start a podcast right there, you know? That's right. That's a how little, you get a good conversation going, you know? A little loosey-goosey. Yeah, you got yeah. to. You got to. Yeah. All right, so, so you're officially in the Ember Round. You're in the right. Ember Round. Buckle up. Get ready to go. Question number one. I kind of hinted it earlier. How do you know us? What's the story? I have known both of you guys my entire life. Literally. Right. We are cousins. Part of a huge family. Our mothers are uh, sisters and part of the Chisholm clan. They are each one of 11. And so we got a ton of cousins. We're just part of that big, big old family. We got to have somewhere in like the 50s or 60s first cousins, right? Something like that? Yeah. Somewhere around there. It has to be. And then the second cousins too. I mean, we have a significant amount already. I mean. And it gets confusing because we have cousins that are like our parents' age. Oh, yeah. So it gets, you know, we have we're cousins, all just one big happy family. We have cousins who are older than their own <laughs> uncles. Right. You have, you have nephews that are younger than their uncles. And right. Right. It, it just gets really confusing sometimes. But I love yeah. it. It's, um, oh, it's awesome. It's great. It's amazing. Especially if you're born into it, because then you don't really have to memorize everyone's names. Everyone oh, yeah. who comes into it, it's like, it's oh, good luck. Yeah, oh, yeah, good luck. Have fun. <laughs> So yeah, hundred percent. Right. Well, well, so yeah, we were cousins. And then when Rod and I were growing up in Western New York, you grew up in the DC area. We'd always make the drive down. And then when we moved to Delaware, things were a little bit easier. Yeah. I felt like we always, we always saw each other for the holidays. Yeah, definitely. We, we would, uh, our thing would be the 26th, right? We did that a lot. Yeah. Um, we drive from DC to your guys' place, which is, you know, short drive is like two hours or something. And the day after Christmas, that was always, uh, our thing, the Mangans and the Studs. Yeah. That was our thing, man. That was a lot Loved of fun. It. Good memories. Oh, yeah, so, for sure. So getting into uh, a little bit with the Ember Round, tell us a little bit about yourself. What are some of your areas of interest? So obviously, uh, you know, a, a lot of my uh, my hobbies kind of overlap with my career. I'm, you guys know me. I'm really into video. <laughs> Anything that has to do with video, I love movies and shows, watching them as a fan. And then obviously I, you know, I, I put stuff together myself. And even though that is my career, it, it, I would categorize that as a hobby as well. I love just creating stuff in the video medium, but then yeah, I love music too. Music's definitely like close second. I think if I didn't go into video work, I probably would have tried to stick with music somehow. Listen, uh, you'd be in a third wave ska band right now. Oh, probably. man, I wish. <laughs> I wish. I don't know if you guys can see this, by the way, but I do have a Streetlight Manifesto poster oh, there. Signed, signed by everyone in the band. I saw them on my 21st birthday. They played at my college in the middle of nowhere in Virginia. Yeah, I met them, and it was awesome, and I was extremely drunk. It's, 
It was my 24th birthday party. Right. It had to be. So I was like, you know, pouring my heart out to him. Like, you you know, I saw you guys when I was in like middle school. And now I'm seeing you guys on my 21st birthday party. And this is just so full circle. And they're like, all right, yeah, cool, dude. We'll sign up. (laughs) Like, they were great guys. You know, I'm not trying to paint them like that. But they they were. I think we may have seen them together because what was it? The 930 Club. Club, All three of us. In fact, uh, I was asked today. My coworker, we were just like chit chatting. They said, "What was your first concert you ever went to?" I said, "Real Big Fish, Nine Thirty Club, yep. Washington D.C." Yeah, yeah. Our, uh, you know, that's one thing I, I love that growing up, my dad was always like super supportive of taking us to live music because he was, he, you know, he he always loved going to shows when he was younger. So he would always, you know, provide like a safe atmosphere for us, you know, to take us to a place like Nine Thirty Club, which is more of an adult venue, you know. And we were pretty young, but my dad would roll with us and, you know, kind of just make sure, you know, we were safe and having a good time. And I loved it. Uh, you took us to a lot of Scott shows. We saw Real Big Fish, Streetlight, Catch-22. All good bands. Yeah. Well, so speaking of, you, you mentioned 21st birthday, got really drunk. Mm. You're not 21 anymore, but I see you are oh. drinking a beverage. What are you, what are you yes, working sir. on? This is uh, a Talia. That's T-A-L-E-A. Uh, it's a, a local New York craft beer. They make a lot of IPAs. This is the Sun Up IPA by Talia. Delicious. My girlfriend, Jess, and I discovered it recently. And uh, look at that color. Just look at that color. Now, I was going to say. We got video, so this is perfect format. I mean, just It's nice, light IPA. Nice little hazy there. Yeah. yeah. It is a hazy IPA. So um, those are you know, probably my favorite. Um, yeah, you know, what are you guys drinking on? Well, I'm still doing my goofy challenge, but instead okay. of water, I've upped it today. I'm doing some coffee. So, whoa, okay. all right, yeah, gotta have at least yeah. something in there. So, a little caffeine. And what about you, Alex? You well, I've been holding on to a bottle that I got as a gift for about six months, eight months, and I said, Tonight is the night. Uh, I'm not an Irish whiskey guy, I'm not an Irish whiskey guy, but. Jameson oh, Black Barrel. Wow. You ever had Jameson Black Barrel? I have actually, yeah. It's good. It's very good. It's, I like it. It's it's triple distilled. Yeah. Um, so it is it's actually I would say of all the Irish whiskeys, I'm not a huge Irish whiskey guy, but of all the Irish whiskeys, this is one of the smoother ones I've had. Yeah. Um, it goes down, there's not really much of a bite to it at the end. So yeah. anyway, in honor of Jameson Mangan, I'm having some Jameson. Heartwarming. Thank you so much, Alex. One more thing, too. This is a special episode. We've got our audio engineer, Dan, on. Okay. He's having an Imperial Pumpkin Ale, so he wanted us to, to know that. So cheers to you, Dan, and thank you cheers, for being Dan. our audio engineer. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. cheers Dan. Define a piece of art, and then art can be really anything personal to you that either you identify with or that really speaks to you, and tell us about that. Yeah. So I'm going to go with this album called Blood from a Stone by Eric Krasno, who's an artist I've gotten to know, and he's just an absolutely incredible artist. It's not a new album. It's been out for a while. And I, you know, I knew songs from it and had listened to it before, but I sort of rediscovered it recently. And it's just one of those start to finish. Every song on it is incredible. I think it's probably cracked my top five at this point. It's just it's great. So that would be the piece of art, even though, you know, I love all, all these different mediums. I'm watching a lot of TV, watching a lot of movies, but that's sort of the one that stands out the most to me right now. It's awesome. Yeah. And then the last question of the Amber Rounds. Okay. Uh, this has been added relatively recently, but it's, it's really interesting to get the responses. And obviously COVID has impacted everybody. And, you know, for a lot of people, it's been bad. And there's, you know, not denying that at all, but there's a lot of people that within that bad, there's been that glimmer of something positive that has come about. Maybe it's been a new hobby or a new interest. Ron and I started this podcast. What's something that, that has happened to you since COVID? Well, you know, I think it's a lot of people, especially like creative types, have had to innovate a little bit and find ways to, to work around things. I found like last year, one thing that sort of started working for me is 
This is Sansa, by the way. This is a uh, little oh. pooch. Just wanted to give her a little introduction. Heck, she's, love uh, it. She 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 wanted to pop in and say hey. Our our yeah. ratings will pop right and peak right there. There you go. You know, just screen grab that and just yeah. make that the cover for the episode. You know, no. So when I you know I started when I was making music videos at the beginning of the pandemic, one thing that I noticed is I could start working with artists across the country and they can work with a video. I mean, this is, this could have happened before the pandemic, but it's something that became more clear to me during the pandemic is that, you know, they can have a local videographer shoot it up, you know, upload it to a cloud, send it to me and I can be here in New York and edit it. And there really doesn't have to be much more than that. I can, I can play on music video from here to sort of describe the shots have somebody locally, wherever the artist is, shoot it and then send me the footage and I can execute it here and, and edit it here and have it have it ready. And even though, you know, I could have done that before the pandemic, that's it really became clear that, you know, there really isn't that much stopping me from continuing to do what I do. Just have to sort of get a little creative. Well, I was going to say, you know, I, I was actually going to ask you this later, but it seems very timely right now. Uh, I, I think anyone in your business, and we're going to get into it uh, in a little bit, but <clears throat> anyone in your line of business, I think historically people would say, oh, if you want to make it, you got to go to L.A., you got to go to New York. Do you think this has broken down the barriers so, hey, if you got the talent, you can be in Boise, Idaho? I do. I do. Um, yeah. I think it can help. It helps be in those cities, right? Especially if, you, if you're working full time for a company a lot of times you're going to have to be in one of those cities. And it's nice to be in those cities in general for like networking and connecting with other creatives who you can work with because they tend to be in cities like that as well. But I do think like for me, an ultimate goal would be like get to a point where I've, I've made uh, enough of a name for myself that I could go live in like a cabin in Montana if I wanted to and like edit from there, you know, and just, just do that. You know, um, I, I, I don't think you necessarily have to be in one of those cities. I will say like right now, I, I just finished uh, shooting a music video and the director, she lives in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and I live in Williamsburg. So it's like a 10 minute drive for her to come over and just work on it and go through shots. And there's something to be said about that. It's, yeah. it's nice to do it in person and there's no like miscommunications or miss understandings or anything you can just it's easier faster to just be oh grab that shot there try that out you know and as opposed to here's another draft what do you think so there's something to be said about that but in general i think you can make it work pretty much anywhere now as long as you just sort of have your own little operation up and running i think you could do it wherever that's cool yeah well congratulations you have made it through the Ember Round. Congratulations. You made it. You made it. I knew, I knew you could do it. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. You made it. All right. So let's <laughs> let's get into the main event. You talked yes. about this. You gave us a, a little bit of a sneak peek, but let's dive into it a little bit more. Uh, you, you saw. You mentioned it earlier. You love video. You love yep. music. You've been able to do something that very few people have been able to do, which is marry two of their favorite passions together right music and film and you know you were mentioning earlier about having done music videos but you've done directing and and editing and all sorts of really cool stuff videos for big big name artists i mean hall of fame musicians uh like bootsy uh, collins and and obviously like l king and umphreys mcgee slightly stupid i mean can can you talk about how how that happened? I mean, that's that for so many people. That's like the dream, and you're you're living it. How did that happen? Definitely a lot of uh, a lot of right place, right time kind of thing. And I have to say, as much as I have sort of like started to stay away from social media more, just be, as I've gotten a little bit older, I'm like I just don't I don't spend as much of my time on it. Social media is a hundred percent made most of the connections that have happened for me in the music industry. Like the Bootsy Collins music video was me sending him a direct message on Instagram and just being like, Hey, 
I'm a huge fan. Uh, I just heard this podcast you're on. I make videos. I, you know, just shooting my shot, so to speak. Like, what do I have to wow. lose? Whatever. Like, let me send him. You know, and you you had no like friend of a friend who knew him. So he was on my friend Andy Frasco's podcast, who's another musician that I've worked with, who I got I introduced see. to from another musician I worked with. So he was on there. He didn't di- directly put me in contact with him, but regardless, it all just sort of snowballs. You know, when you do when you do your best work for somebody and uh, they're willing to sort of recommend you to another artist, and it, it all just kind of snowballs from there. But yeah, the Bootsy thing was crazy. I mean, he I, I never expected in a million years he would have responded, and it it all happened. So yeah. Yeah, it's actually really interesting. What one thing that you just said that stuck out in my mind was maybe I'm inferring, but you were like, you know, one one little thing that you may have done that you thought, eh, little tiny project. You know, I'm doing this maybe for for a friend. I'm doing this for free, maybe. Yeah. Uh, And and little do you know that that could be the introduction to setting you up for something big. That's crazy. Yeah. No. 100. percent You know. That's one of the uh, biggest lessons I've learned in my career is, you know, even if a gig doesn't outwardly present itself as the best possible thing for you to do, like the best possible thing for your career or whatever, you got to think that sometimes it can be worth it just from the people that you're going to meet at those, that event, you know, even if you're like a production assistant and you meet, you know, a camera operator or an audio guy on set that, could introduce yeah. you to someone else and give you another gig. You know, it's, you never know what's going to happen. So yeah, it's uh it's a lot of just continuing. It, it, what do you have to lose? Uh, a lot of cases when I reach out to these artists, you know, the worst thing that's going to happen is, you know, their, their PR doesn't see it or, yeah. you know, they see it and they don't have time to respond or whatever the case is. Um, what do you have to lose? So that's, that's cool. I guess, sort of what I've taken away from it. Can you touch on music videos in general? I'm, I'm really curious, you know, the three of us, we grew up during a different time period in MTV. MTV used to play music oh, yeah. videos for anyone who's young, who's listening. Um, don't forget, there was VH1, too, that used to do music videos, too. Oh, yeah. But yeah. There was always, they weren't quite ever as hip, though. <laughs> that's true. Right. That's true. Well, so, so we no longer have MTV playing videos, music videos, 24 hours a day, right? And, and I guess my question for you is, you know, obviously there's the world of YouTube, but can you talk about how music videos have changed from your point of view? I mean, is it still, I think historically it was a free advertisement to say, go buy my album, right? Here's right. a little sneak peek. You're only listening to one track in, right. in video format and, and go buy the CD or the album. How, how would you say how, how that, that medium has changed? Yeah. And, and it was also a way for these artists to sell their image sort of, you know, and present themselves more than just over the radio, you know, over the radio, you hear the voice, you hear their sound. That's great. But this, the video format gave them a totally different way to sell themselves. And uh, the truth is that music videos are not at all what they, what they are today is not at all what they used to be. I mean, the budgets are, probably cut in half, I, I, I would assume, just overall in general, compared to what they were like 20 or 30 years ago. And yeah, you don't have a platform on cable TV anymore to, to display these things. So I think at this point, you know, there's exceptions. There's huge artists who have a huge viral music video on YouTube. And um, yeah, anytime maybe, Lady Gaga, it's always like a 20 minute video. It's sure. Like a film. And it'll have, you know, 500 million views on it and um so there are there are things like that but i think for you know the average artist if you're making a music video it's 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 mostly just for artistic fulfillment and to just have some kind of artistic or visual accompaniment to their music because most artists are putting their own money into these music videos and they're not profiting off of them for the most part. I mean, like I said, if you're getting like hundreds of millions of views or something, you might make some money off, off YouTube. But for the most part, these artists are dumping their own money in, and for no other reason than they just want to make a nice piece of art to accompany their music. So from that, you know, I, I think you have to respect it. 
from that point of view. What do you think, too, where I know it's a bit interesting how certain songs that maybe didn't receive a ton of popularity when they were first you know, released because of YouTube, I think, have definitely kind of also skyrocketed. So, for instance, Rick Astley, right? Right. Um, a clear example of, like, I, I don't think he's able to, you know, get away from um, from that. But what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think it's weird how I'm, I'm sure for many artists, when you first release it, you kind of want people to enjoy it at the moment. But 20, 30, 40 years on, that's got to be kind of surreal in some ways. Yeah, 100 percent. And, you know, one social media phenomenon I have not caught on to personally myself at all is TikTok. But my girlfriend is on TikTok. And it'll be funny when she's scrolling through and she'll land on something and it'll be a song from like 30 or 40 years ago. Like I heard a Jerry Rafferty song straight down the line or right down the line by Jerry Rafferty. And it was on one of the TikToks and I was like, oh man, I love this song. Yeah, this is on TikTok. Like who picked this for a TikTok? It's so random. She's like, oh, I didn't know. Like she was like, this is like a really popular TikTok song. Like it's like all over TikTok right now. I'm like, Jerry Rafferty? Like. Where did that come from? And, you know, not that long ago, too, the, the Fleetwood Mac song blew up again on t- uh, because of TikTok. And so it is kind of interesting. I mean, I'm all for it as far as for these artists. Like, they're nobody's selling records anymore. Like, their main the main source of income for a lot of these artists was, like, kind of just mysteriously disappeared over the course of, like, 10 years. So, you know, if these artists can make another splash on social media, I'm all for it. Good for them, you know? While we're on the topic, what's your favorite uh, music video of all time? Uh, you know, I was thinking about this, and it's tough. I, there's a lot that stand out in my mind as far as, like, the ones that really kind of, like, got me into music videos, the ones that were on TV when I was growing up, like you guys mentioned before. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I could really pick, like, one uh, in general, but I would say there's an artist who makes music videos who really kind of got me to take the plunge and start making them myself just because I saw them and I was so inspired by it. Can I guess? Go ahead. Yeah. Can I guess who it is? Yeah. Weird Al? Was it it right? It was not Weird Al, but that's, that is a fair (laughs) guess. Um, He's done some very good directed videos too. He has. I mean, there's, there's a lot of like, you know, like Spike Jones uh, did a lot of really cool music videos too. um, For like a lot of like a huge range of artists. But this this guy is he's he's pretty um, he's pretty like uh, recent I guess he's sort of been started in the started doing it in the past like ten years ago or so. But uh, his name is Stephen St. Mertens. Mm. Not at all a household name or anything, but um, uh, you know his videos are just so detail oriented, and you could just sit there and watch a video from start to finish and just be completely captivated. There's no dull moments. There's, it's just a hundred percent just visual stimulation from start to finish. So, and after I saw a couple of his videos, I was like, I want to do that. <laughs> like, I want to make those. That's so cool. So, um, Jamie, I'm is- envisioning a, a four minute Michael Bay music video. That's what I'm envisioning when you say eternally stimulating. I know that's not what you mean at all, but that's no, what I'm envisioning. Just but, explosions yeah. for four minutes. Basically that, and then just add in a touch of like, you know, that, like that on acid, basically just like, you know, just soup. I, I love the really kaleidoscopic, you know, sort of psychedelic videos where you can just sort of sit there and watch it and you're just sort of captivated and it kind of takes you on a ride. I think those are really fun. So that's sort of, he's, he's a guy who sort of inspired me to, to kind of try my best at it. <laughs> While we're on the topic of psychedelic, this is a short question. Sure. How many tie-dye t-shirts do you own? You know, I uh, my collection has grown now. <laughs> my brother, <laughs> uh, my brother, your guys' other cousin, makes some um, incredible, there's a plug for pluff tie-dye here, incredible tie-dye t-shirts. It's, it's, it blows me away that he picked that up, that ha- hobby up, like overnight, it seems like, like it was like, he told me he was getting into it. And like a month later, he showed me some shirts that were just like mind blowing. Um, so yeah, I got a couple now, but I expect to have more, you know, I'm, I'm his brother. So I sh- should be yeah, getting like, a family discount. He's got to hook you up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, we'll certainly get him on the show at some point. Um, yeah. So, so I do want to, I do want to switch gears 
music is fascinating. But the other thing that I find really interesting in your your young career is you know you've worked on shows and documentaries with HBO, Showtime, Discovery Channel. I mean, that's a totally different medium than music videos, right? I mean, music right. videos we're talking what three minutes, four minutes, and right. and right. these documentaries now they're like. 12 part hour and 20 minute long episode each. You know, I mean, it's crazy. I think, I think it's interesting because I think society, most people I talk to, they go, Oh, people's attention spans today. They're, they're measured to quote basketball. They're measured in nanoseconds. Right. (laughs) And, and yet we today are watching 10 hour documentaries. We're listening. The number one podcaster in the world does three or four hour episodes at a whack. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't buy that our attention spans are getting shorter. What do you think? I don't either. I think uh, if the content is good, people will pay attention. Like you said, we, we have shows that people are glued to every week that are hour long episodes that people are just dying to see every week. So the idea that you know, you know, social media has sort of like limited our attention spans. I don't, I don't really buy it either. And I I don't buy the sort of generational idea that like, you know, younger people or in general just can't focus on one thing at a time. I I think quality speaks for itself in general. And if something is good, people are going to pay attention to it. Yeah. And I actually think Jamie, I'm curious your take on this. I think shows today are actually more complex than years ago because they can be binged. So whereas used to be one episode a week, oh, I need a recap. What's happened in the last six days? It's like now I'm watching four episodes in a whack. I yeah. am, I know the minute details of what's going on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I think, you know, these people who are making these shows, people now have seen a lot on TV, right? We've seen a lot of TV shows. We've seen a lot of movies. We've People have to up the ante, right? They they You have to assume the audience is, has potentially seen it before. And you have to assume that they're, they're smart people and you have to, the programming in general, I feel like has to be, it's competitive, you know, it has to be good. It's not going to last long if it's not. And you have plenty of competition, no matter what network or streaming service you're on. So yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I, I think in general, um, you know, I had a college professor who would always say, and this was, you know, obviously a while ago now, this was like 2013, 2014, but You'd be like, we're, we're in the golden age right now of entertainment, like video games, movies, TV shows, everything. We are like in the golden age of entertainment right now. Like we're Everything is awesome. <laughs> like all the yeah. entertainment for the most part, like obviously we can squabble and nitpick a bunch of stuff, but like we get a lot of incredible entertainment. I, I don't know how you guys feel, but for the most part, I feel like when I finish a show, it's never more than a few days before some other show that I... I've either already watched or want to watch comes out, you know? Uh, Well, I feel like I never have to go more than a week or something without a show, you know, that I want to see. So the other thing that I think is interesting is um, I went down a rabbit hole where I watched all 11 seasons of cheers a few years ago. And it's funny because you watch that show and you talk to people who like, I was too young to watch that show, but I talked and they're like, Oh, that was like, you watched that one time. And I'm, I love cheer, the people go, I love cheers, but I'm, I'm never going to watch it again. And yeah. I know people who have watched game of Thrones. Maybe they skipped the last season, but they've watched <laughs> every other season, three, four, five times. So there's, there's also yeah. the rewatchability factor yeah. that I think old shows, they, they weren't written to be watched multiple times. Yeah, no, I could totally well, see that. Even adding on to that, I think what's kind of interesting is there's almost a whole subgenre of entertainment based on the analysis of a lot of content where it's like, did you catch this reference? Did you catch how this is tied to this? So, and I know that there is some level of just creative interpretation as an audience where I can infer that maybe this is what they were going for, but it's kind of interesting too, where um, I know I've talked about this before with like uh, Stanley Kubrick, there's a documentary room 237 where there's all these crazy interpretations, but it, it's really interesting because you kind of can see like a show like Game of Thrones where did you see how they tied this together and this together and this together? And it's all those little details that I think even help with the show feeling like it isn't just a, 
one-time experience, you move on, you're done. There's almost an interpretation that kind of enters into society, right? So to your point, I remember when Game of Thrones was on air, there was a podcast I listened to every week afterwards that analyzed the entire episode. It was like an hour. The podcast itself was longer than the episode. And it was just (laughs) them dissecting everything that happened in the episode. And now even, you know, a lot of times when I go see a Marvel movie, I'll go on YouTube and there's two or three dudes on YouTube who will break down every single Easter egg that was in it in the movie. And it's, you know, maybe 50% of it I caught and the other 50% I'm like, holy, you know, I never saw that coming. So it's, it's interesting. Like you said, it is a whole new subgenre of just dissecting the entertainment itself. And the entertainment has to be pretty good for that level of analysis, you know? And if if there's one an easy example to showcase how people are analyzing a show like Game of Thrones. Remember, uh, it was like season three or season four, there was a coffee cup that was left in oh, the scene yeah. when they filmed. Oh, like, yeah, I remember. Everyone was going berserk over that. And it it's was, like, uh, yeah. if, you, if you ever so, watch, that was even actually, like Friends, even like, yeah. a, sorry, even like a show like Friends, there's stuff, boom mics, Think, yeah. you know, it's whatever, right? People don't, it's, it's, it's an entertainment show for 20 minutes. That's not the case, right? With a show like Game of Thrones. Well, now, go now ahead, you know, that coffee cup completely ruined people's perception of the show somehow. <laughs> and totally brought them out of that world, you know? It's funny, that actually was one of the first weeks I was working at HBO when that happened. And it was a huge deal, obviously. Should not have happened, but, you know, it like it is entertainment at the end of the day. Nobody died, nobody got hurt, you know. But uh, you know, these fans just have high expectations, which is it is what it is. But to your point, Ron, I think it is it's interesting. Um, I've heard the whole debate about whether it's better to release a show in one chunk, release a whole season, and let people mm-hmm. binge it, or to do the whole week by week release. And the argument in favor of the week by week release is that you have those kind of shows where people will discuss your show for a yeah. week in between each episode and get excited for it and guess what's going to happen and build up momentum and hype around it. And a lot of times with a lot of these shows that drop the entire season in one weekend or something, people binge it and they love it and it's people talk about it for a week and then it disappears. And the yeah. discussion around it kind of disappears because everybody consumes it all at once. Everybody talks about it and that's the end and people move on. Whereas these other shows who release a week at a time, it kind of, you know, that's actually, that's a really good point. So listen, because it gives you, it gives you an opportunity as an audience person, as an audience member to kind of be like, what are they going to do? Oh, there's a cliffhanger. What's going to happen. And if you just have that kind of immediate gratification of, okay, I've got it. I can just go right to that episode. Right it doesn't really allow your imagination to run. Right. Totally. Yeah. So what we're going to do, we're going to cut the break. Okay. Take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to keep talking about the entertainment world. Yeah. We're going to keep the conversation going. Sounds good. Looking forward to it guys. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Ron here. And Alex and I wanted to take a moment first to thank you for being a listener to our podcast. Secondly, I've got a challenge for you this week. If you could, Find somebody who maybe isn't familiar with the show and turn them on to it. We'd appreciate it. Thank you so much. And we're back with Between Two Studs. We're hanging out with Jameson Mangan. You know, while the break was happening, I was thinking, you know, you know, conspiracy theories, you know, about the, the new Coke, where they introduced new Coke and they brought back classic Coke and it was way more popular than ever. I was thinking during the break that HBO intentionally placed that cup in that episode of Game of Thrones because everyone was talking about it. <laughs> That's, That's true. What I think I, I think it was intentional. It, you know what? I cannot confirm or deny. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You so know, speaking no, of HBO. I wish that was oh, intentional. <laughs> I wish that was intentional. <laughs> so so speaking of HBO, you, you've, you've been working there uh, doing projects and helping them out. I know you also helped them launch HBO Max um, yeah. by helping. I, I know I, I stalked your LinkedIn and it said by helping them fix segment runtimes and install uh, the skip credit functionality. Can, right. can you explain 
what that is. How does that work? I mean, that seems pretty technical, pretty cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. So um, we did launch HBO Max in the middle of the pandemic, which was, you know, that's something that I know my my team specifically at HBO is, is very proud of, you know, launching a major streaming service like that in the middle of everything that was going on with everyone working at home. You know, I think that's something that everyone was really proud of. You know, there's kinks. There's still kinks in the app that are going to be worked out. But for the most part, I think it's it's been a you know a successful rollout. A lot of the shows on that platform have been doing well. The library itself is is pretty massive, pretty impressive. Oh yeah. Um, so so you know that's that's something that like I said, people on my team are really proud of. The skip functionality thing is you know when you're watching like an episode and the opening credits you know, the, the same part that's in every episode of the show come up. But I want to listen to that's the thing. Some people do. And uh, there's an exact one show that I just started watching that's on HBO Max is Peacemaker. I don't know if either of you are watching it. The opening credit sequence is probably one of my favorite opening credit sequences of any show ever. Um, and every time it comes on, I watch it all the way through because it just makes me smile. Some people, I guess, we, we it goes back to the short attention span we were discussing earlier. Some people, they just want to binge the show. And they, they maybe they don't care for the opening credit sequence or whatever. So we want to, I guess, give our customers the opportunity to skip that if they want to. So basically, that involves going in and pulling up the episode and finding exactly the frame on where the opening credits start and the frame where the uh, opening credits end and sort of plugging that into sort of internal software, internal metadata, if you will. And that's sort of what brings up that little bot, uh, button at the bottom of the screen that says, you know, skip credits. So, so, um, it, so you are, you're responsible. I mean, I never, I never thought that that was done by a human being. That's yeah. Incredible. So, well, so, some of these shows, depending on the network we get it from, some of them, it's super helpful. They will send us that information. They'll be like, this is where, this is the exact frame where the credits start and this is where it ends. So we'll, we'll have it and we can just plug that in super easy. Some of the shows might be a little bit older and they just don't have that information. So that's where we have to sort of bring up the show and sort of go through and, and find where it starts and, and find where the end credits end too. So because we want people to be able to skip the end credits and go to the next episode. So yeah, it's uh we're, we're it's an ongoing process. If you're uh, if you're watching this and your favorite uh show on HBO has does not have skip functionality yet, it'll be coming Blame soon. Jamie. Uh, <laughs> right, you're playing so, me. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Is that where right. I need to like shake my fist at the air and go, "Jamie!" That's right. Why that's isn't like, it there? Blame it on me. No. And I can email uh, you? It's it's just such a huge library of content that it's it is going to take a while but but we we did it uh, we made a lot of progress in the first year for sure we got a, a huge majority of it done so yeah that's that's just one of the projects that that i've been involved with over the past year or so so jamie very cool. listen i got i got some i got some advice you can take back to hbo okay <clears throat> so there, there are certain there are <laughs> certain shows not all yeah. there are certain shows that there's like one little thing about the intro that changes all the time. The most famous right. is the Simpsons, right? Right. It, it, the chalkboard thing always changes. There should be a partial skip function that mm. goes to that. Just different to the end. It, that's smart. That's smart. No, it does get a little tricky uh, when you're sort of designating the different segments within the shows. For example, some shows have an episode recap at the beginning and some yes. will have a next up ep- or next week on segment sort of at the end of the episode for example like doctor who is something uh one of the shows that we have and it always has an episode recap and a next week on so we have to be able we have to designate those as well in case the the viewer had just watched the episode right before and they don't want to watch you know a minute long recap on but what see, they just see saw, you know i'm the opposite and i, I i've yeah. gotten mad at that because i'll finish yeah. the episode because sometimes you know especially complex shows Oh yeah, they, no, I'm with you. They, yeah. they, the intro, the little recap 
is not just from last episode. It'll be like right. this random obscure character from season two is now back. And I'm like, I want that. And there've been times right. where you hit the, it'll, it'll automatically start playing right. for the next episode. And it'll go right, right to directed by, and I'm like, yeah. well, now I got to yeah. back up. Right. That's the only okay. downside of binging. Because I, I guess maybe to some degree it's kind of figuring like, okay, well, you've been binging at least two, three seasons. You know what everything about here. And it's like, no, 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 I, I'm not following that close attention. Right. It's like, no, 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 <laughs> bring it down for me here. I need, I need right. some help. <laughs> this, is, this is the most, like, first world whatever problem you want to think about. Right. Like, you know, I don't like that it skips that two minutes and I got to go all the way back. I right. had to go on the internet to look who that character was. Right. I I'm a dummy, and I need you guys to break this down for me. Just make it as simple as possible. Tell me what I need to know, all right? <laughs> yeah. So speaking of, we, we do have a question that actually just came in from our audience. You're, you're doing a live audience show, so thank you so much for our live audience. It's, it's there. And here's the question. This is concerning all the editing work that you've done, and you've done a tremendous amount of it. Um, the question was, is it really worth all of the hard work that you've had to put in, and would you do it again? Yeah, no, 100%. At the end of the day, I get creative fulfillment out of it, too. You know, it, it does feel like a, a collaborative aspect working with the musician where you're kind of like, well, listen, this is sort of what I'm seeing in my head. I sort of like to visually represent that. What do you think about it? You know, and, you know, there's been projects I've done that I didn't necessarily get paid a lot, but I did it anyway because I like that artist so much and I just wanted I respected them so much. I just wanted to be a part of their career yeah. and help just be a little piece of that and make my own little contribution to it. Cause I kind of believed in their music and their, you know, what are their message so much. So, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, I would do it again, you know, even on those projects that I didn't make a lot of money on. Cause yeah, I, I, I like making art, making stuff. I would do it even if I, didn't get paid for it, I think. So can you touch on, I think we talked about this earlier, right? Shows that were never intended to be streamed in 2022 and all of a sudden exist, right? And maybe are being watched for the first time, 40 or 50 or 60 years. Can you talk about, I'm sure there are things you might have to edit or you might have to take certain assumptions on. And it's like, well, the director's dead. Right. Like I, I'm having to yeah. take liberties on, on certain things. Can you talk about that? Is that challenging or how does that work? Yeah. So for me, as like at my level, doing quality control and technical evaluation, those kind of decisions for the most part are, are happening above, above me, <laughs> uh, to, to be honest. I think that a lot of the uh, my bosses that are the ones who sort of decide what kind of programming we're going to is still appropriate in, in 2022, for example. And for the most part, I think they, HBO is pretty good about allowing a pretty, you know, wide range of, of content still. So yeah, you know, personally, I'm not, I'm not making any decisions myself on a lot of these like legacy shows and, and, and classic movies and whatnot. It's, it's more, HBO and Warner Media doing sort of making these contracts with these companies like Paramount or uh, MGM or Universal, Lions, uh, Lionsgate, any of those. They sort of make they have contracts with them, and uh, based on outside public pressure, they might not renew certain contracts for certain movies if those movies are deemed you know no longer acceptable for whatever reason. But yeah, it's uh, that's that's sort of the uh, the tricky the tricky thing we're we're dealing with now in, in this this area, I guess. Well, I think it's interesting because obviously I'm not I'm, this isn't even about the streaming world. But I remember when I was a kid, I loved when I, we were teenagers. My, one of my favorite shows of all time was Boy Meets World. Love Boy Meets World, and it used right. to air at 3 p.m. on Disney Channel every day, Monday through Friday. And I did I listened. I watched it and uh, I remember I was like, I've seen every episode, love, love Boy Meets World. And I remember I got to like my mid twenties and somehow, I don't know how this even came about, but I realized that there was two episodes that Disney never aired. Cause I remember I was like, I watched them in order. 
There was yeah. two episodes about alcohol that were never aired. And, uh, you know, I had to do some, some interesting tactics to watch those two episodes. But but I watched them and I went, I get it, though, because it was about alcohol. And Disney yeah. did not want to have alcohol on the Disney Channel. But it right. was like, as a fan of the show, I, I felt like, oh, man, I, I, yeah. I didn't know. I, it was incomplete. Right, right. Yeah, no, it's, it's um, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to re- rewrite history or, or sort of restrict uh, restrict people's access to art from different eras, even if it might not translate as well in this day and age. So it's just, it's a tricky, uh, tricky tightrope to walk, I guess, because you also don't want to um, be the platform that hosts content that could make people feel hateful towards other people or anything like that, you know? Um, right. So it, it's a fine line to walk, I think. And I think we'll come, to, hopefully we'll come to some kind of consensus over it over the next couple of years. But until then, it's everyone's sort of got their own standards for it, I guess. Changing topics a little bit. Mm-hmm. I know that, you know, you grew up a DC kid. You know, you've moved to New York, right? Yeah. And I'm sure that, you know, moving between cities, we always kind of like to kind of talk to our guests who've moved to kind of get a little bit of their understanding. What are some of the things that you miss about DC? And if you had to get forcibly moved back to DC, you know, today, what would be some things you'd miss about New York? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I love, you know, you, you get your neighborhood spots when you grow up someplace and you have those attachments to, to places like that, whether it be restaurants or just bars or places to hang out. Um, so, you know, all my, you know, all those classic restaurant spots and bars and back in DC, you know, I miss all of those for sure. But I, I do love New York. It's, it's grown on me exponentially since I've moved up here. I was never, before I moved here, I was really never a huge New York city kind of guy. I've been here a couple of times and I was like, yeah, it's fun. You know, it's all right. It's cool. Um, I wasn't overly stoked to move here, I guess. It was more more or less for the job, but once I got here, you really start to appreciate what a city like this can offer. I mean, pretty much anything you want to do, any kind of cuisine you want to eat. At any time. At any time of the day or night, you can do it. Like, it doesn't matter how obscure your hobby is. You can probably find a bar within a couple blocks (laughs) of where they, you know, people play whatever board game or card game or whatever. I mean, there's something for everybody, every kind of club, no matter what your, you know, sports team is, no matter what, like I said, food, music. I mean, you guys, as I mentioned, I'm huge into music. I I listen to, you know, pretty much every kind of genre. And I mean, I, I think I could go to a show every single night of an artist I know in New York every single night of the week there's somebody i know performing in this city like it's it's pretty it's pretty incredible so you have to uh you have to appreciate that and uh you know it's something i noticed even when i go to visit my parents down in south carolina or something now it's i have to order an uber or something and if i order an uber in new york like if i have to wait longer than three minutes for an uber like that's a pretty that's pretty long wait and, uh, you know, I order an Uber in South Carolina and it's like 30 minutes away. I'm like, what? What is this? Um, but yeah, no. So that's just, you know, you, you grow to appreciate those kind of things. Like there's there's a lot of just <laughs> instant gratification in this city. So along those same lines, too, what are some things that people from outside of the city who are really, let's be honest, tourists? What are some things that tourists don't seem to get that really kind of grind your gears a little bit? Well, I think people just assume people or one thing people don't understand about New York City is that the majority of people here aren't from here. I mean, the city is made up of people from every single state. I mean, obviously there's locals, but for the most part, the majority of the people in the city are not from here. So to assume that there's some kind of like the New York people from New York City have some kind of like attitude, which I think is a presumption I I probably have when I moved here that, you know, people here are sort of like, just a little like, a little tougher, a little like, you know, nastier or something, you know, just a little like, it's a little, you have to sort of keep yourself on guard or keep, you know, they have a little more of an edge or whatever. But then you realize like everyone, like most of the people I meet here are really, really nice. And that isn't the case at all. 
And I meet people from like Wisconsin and like Florida and Iowa and Texas here and stuff. And you can't really just put that kind of assumption on um, everyone from New York is sort of like, sort of uh, rude or like hard or whatever. Right. Uh, because like I said, most of the people here aren't even from here. So like me, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you tell people that you're a fan of New York's football team, the team that actually plays in the state of New York? I do. I tell people, well, listen, I mean, you guys know, like you guys said, I'm from D.C. So, unfortunately, the commanders, as it is now, is uh, is is that, that crazy uh, shit show of establishment. That is what, unfortunately, my heart is tied to. But... I've told everybody since I was a kid that my number two team has always been the Bills. Because that, you know, yeah. that are, that whole side of the families, you know, we're all Bills fans, so. That's right. Go Bills. Yep. So, so uh, now that you've been in the entertainment business for a bit, right, what advice would you give to maybe someone who's, who's actively in college? I mean, rewind yourself 2013, 2014 for yourself. What are things that they should know maybe that you didn't know back then. Yeah. I mean, I would just put emphasis on like, take as many opportunities as you can. Like, even if, even if you don't think it could be exactly what you want to be doing for long term, you never know what you're going to get from a gig. I mean, there are so many little one-off gigs that I was either a production assistant or a camera operator or something. And I never worked for the company again, you know, but there was people I met on set that helped me get another job or at the very least were just supportive people to know that I could contact and you never know, like just, you know, there were, you never know what's going to come from the different opportunities that are presented to you. So I, I just remember when I first came out of college, I just had a very like hungry, mindset and attitude like wanted to learn as much as possible can want to meet as many people as i can work in as many different like fields as i can all you know within the industry media video sphere but you know like live sports production post-production i wanted to learn about all of it and do as much as i possibly can i was you know i didn't limit myself to just advertising or just that this or that. And I think that helps me a lot personally. So yeah, I just think like just being hungry and just going for it and just trying to uh, take advantage of every little gig you can and, and see what comes of it. Very good advice. And I love how you've really kind of tied together. There's so many different experiences that you never know what they'll turn into. Exactly. And that weird networking you know, it's, it's one of those things where you never know what, who you work with or who that person that you say the right thing to is going to turn into something beautiful down the line. And, exactly. you know, I guess kind of speaking of that, you know, what are, you know, w- without getting into specifics, unless you're, you know, you're able to tell us about it, what are some of the next things in line for Jameson Mangan? So I am, I'm working on some more music videos. I, I took a nice little, a little break um, at the end of 2021, just, I put two videos out within like a week of each other in October, 2021. And I was just burnt out creatively and just needed to take a little break. So I did sort of around the holidays and, you know, came into this year feeling kind of recharged. And so I am now working on two more music videos that are both going to come out about uh, four days apart from each other. So, one of them is for uh, Andy Frasco in the UN, who I've done work with previously. I've uh, made music videos and uh, worked on a show with Andy. So we shot that one up here in New York. We uh, used my apartment for a couple scenes. It was it was pretty fun. <laughs> so yeah, I'm pretty excited about that one. It's uh, it's it's a funny video, but it's it's pretty like heartwarming too. So I, I'm very excited about that one. And then I have another uh, animated music video coming out. For Eric Krasno, who is he's a multi Grammy award winning guitarist and songwriter and producer and all that, and he's he's actually who I mentioned earlier the the album I mentioned earlier. 
so yeah, I'm, I'm just, he, I'm like a super fan of his. I'm like the biggest fan, aircraft fanboy there is. So uh, that's like a dream come true. So, but yeah, those are the two I'm working on. Uh, and then um, in March, there's, um, I have a video coming out for a bluegrass band out of Montana uh, called the Kitchen Dwellers. They're really talented group too. So um, those are sort of the first couple projects of this year. And then I guess we'll, we'll see what comes later this year, but that's that on the, uh, the music video front, I guess. And, Love it. you know, speaking of it too, just because you never know who is going to watch our show, right? Yeah. For those that might be looking for, for getting in touch with you, is there a specific website or way that they can get in touch with you? Yeah. So, uh, jamiesonmangan.com first last name, um, you know, spelled the same way uh, you guys will see in this uh, the episode title. That's uh, you'll you'll be able to contact me there, um, see some of my work, my portfolio, resume reels, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, no, please uh, please reach out to me if if you're listening and you guys need some video work done or anything. Uh, be happy to help. That's fantastic. And in that same vein, before we wrap up, sure. Are there any mediums of entertainment? That you haven't done yet that you would like to well i think the next big landscape is like vr you know vr video and I, mm. i've done mm. very very basic minimal editing on vr video just kind of like stitched 360 degree video together and sort of played with that and um i find that fascinating do you own an Oculus or, or I, I any don't. type of VR? I don't. I don't. I have some um, friends who do, and I've you know played around with theirs, and it just it blows my mind. I think that's definitely where it's all heading. So if I'm smart, I'll start learning how to do that. But yeah, I think that I think about making a music video that in 360 degrees, and the watchability potential for something like that. Oh you can, oh, yeah. if you're facing this direction, watching the music videos, you'll see something. You can watch it again, facing that direction and see totally different stuff. You could just sit, you watch it five times and see stuff you never noticed before. Um, right. It gives you such a huge landscape to work with. So I think that's the next frontier. That's what we're, we're all going to have to learn. I just, in my head, it's so much work already. <laughs> doing what I do for, you know, what you're looking at straight in front of you. I can't even imagine having to design all that all around me in every direction. You know, it's, it's intimidating, but you know, I think it's amazing too. Like when you watch a well-made VR video, it's mesmerizing. And do very you immersive. think, Jamie, do you think it's, it's funny, like every Christmas I always watch it's a wonderful life, <clears throat> just like millions of other Americans. And it always takes me a few minutes to get acclimated to the black and white thing, right? Yeah. And and then and then same thing. You watch like a movie from the seventies, the eighties, or the nineties. You can tell, you can tell it's a little bit older. And right. I, I recently I was watching a football game uh, where the Bills lost. Don't want to talk about it, but, <laughs> but I saw the quality of right. that game was so good. I said, yeah. where do we go from here? Honestly, like, how could anyone look at this in 20 years and say this is dated? This looks right. as real as real life. And I guess right. my question to you is, do you think there will be a point, whether it's 20 years or 40-ish now, people will go, oh, my God, you're watching something on a 2D screen? What's wrong with you? That's old. That's that's like how we see It's a Wonderful Life today. Yeah, I, I think we will get to that point. I think we will, which, you know, my mind goes to like, yeah, all, all the music videos that I spent hours and hours working on are all going <laughs> to eventually like look like, womp, womp, what is this? Um, but, you know, it's, it, you know, that's just how things go. That's just how technology is. That It, it always is that way. It's always going to be that way. And I could see them figuring out a way to take old videos and sort of adapt them to the new technology where it's it sort of expands the video on either side and makes it more immersive or something. I could see them figuring out something, something like that, where they can sort of make old content viewable and exciting on that new format. Or, uh, but you know, we'll see. 
it is what it is. You can't you can't stop uh, the waves of change or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's it's gonna go where it goes. So, well, one thing's for sure: Jameson Mangan will be riding riding the wave. He will be at the forefront. We'll be there seeing we your name all over the place. So, it's like that. It's listen, like that Catch Twenty Two song, riding the fourth wave all the way in. Oh yeah, call out. <laughs> That's right. Hey, listen with that. It's been a real pleasure. Jamie, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, you definitely set the bar high for the rest of our family members. And uh, <laughs> we'll be seeing you soon. All right, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. This was awesome. It was uh, fun talking with you guys. And uh, we'll see you guys soon, I guess.